It's April 4th, 2010, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to a new episode of The Candid Frame. I'm glad that you've joined this ever-growing community of listeners from all over the world. So wherever you're listening to this show, whether it's New York, Moscow, Zurich, Vancouver, Mumbai, or Melbourne, I want to thank all of you for the steady stream of emails I've been receiving as of late with your thoughts about the show. It's very cool to see messages from every continent in the world. The only one I haven't heard from is Antarctica, and if you're listening to this show from way down there, let me know. It would be nice to know that I've got a part that part of the world covered too. Your donations have been very appreciated. Thank you so much for your generosity. Unfortunately, I made a mistake in setting up the PayPal account, and I was unable to receive donations that were submitted in late February and most of March. So if you made a donation during this period, which was never completed, I would ask that you would please resubmit your donation using the corrected link on the blog page at thecandidframe.com. Sorry for the inconvenience. And if you haven't already, please consider making donations of $5, $10, $20, or even more to help manage the cost of producing the show. Today's guest is Bruce Osborne, a photographer who was born and bred down here in Southern California and who since 1980 has been living and working in Japan, where he has enjoyed an international career as a commercial photographer and filmmaker, as well as a fine art artist. His work came to my attention as a result of his long-term project called Oyakude. Ayako, which means parent and child in Japanese, is a theme on which Bruce based an ongoing series of portraits that he makes of families each year. It's been a project that not, that's not only been embraced by photographers and curators, but the entire country of Japan. It's an incredible body of work, and from what I've seen, it's one of the most fun and exhausting days of shooting imaginable. I think you're in for a real treat with this one. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Bruce Osborne. Uh, well, Bruce, welcome to the Candid Frame. I want to get started with talking um, talking to you about the the big project, what's become your lifelong project, which is the Oyako Day project. Uh huh. And tell me how what started off as a magazine assignment turns into a lifelong project. Yeah, it's just kind of funny how things kind of take a turn and such in life, but. Uh I had uh, I was shooting a lot of music when I first came to Japan, and there was a a magazine that was kind of like young uh, music scene, pretty punk oriented magazine that I was uh, asked to shoot for. And at that time, it was very uh, free. It was not really given much direction on how I could do that. I was basically said, "Do what you want to do with this. Uh, you have so many pages." So I was shooting this uh, guy. Uh, Nakano Shigeru, who was in this band called Anarchy, and he had this uh, Mohegan that was, I don't know, about a foot or so tall, so a very, you know, dynamic kind of visual-looking kind of guy, and kind of looks like someone you'd be a little bit nervous to meet on the street. Uh, and I was thinking, what's a good way to shoot a photo of him? And, uh, you know, he has such a kind of tough boy image and everything, and uh, at that same moment, too, there was something else personally happening in my life was that I was just about to have a, a child. So I was in the process of becoming a parent. I was probably thinking about that thing at the same time of 
wondering how to shoot this uh, uh, tough guy. And I thought, yeah, you know, he, he has such a, you know, uh, image on stage and stuff, but what's he like, you know, what's his parents like? Where does he come from? You know, it's, what's the story with this guy? Does, do punks have parents, you know? So from there, uh, yeah, I just kind of followed the flow. We took a picture of uh, this guy with his parents or his mother, who is just uh, absolutely the sweetest thing and was kind of dynamic and she just loved her son. Uh, and it was just an amazing relationship and it just kind of uh, one photo just you know led on to make me want to shoot more and more after that and you had that that first were you making a series of images of families when you decided to do you know the first Oyako Day no that was uh, Oyako Day is something that kind of progressed much later that started uh, about uh, about seven years ago so I started shooting parents and children uh, 1982, so what are we, uh, 28 years ago, I guess. So that was the first step, was just shooting this uh, series of parents and children. And I shot for this magazine, and it was just really a fun, interesting project. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those unfinished things. And then I had an opportunity to do an exhibition, and uh, I decided what I was doing the exhibition, but I hadn't really decided what I was going to do for that. And I began looking at that series, and I always wanted to do more with that, and I thought this is a great opportunity. So I shot for uh, this show, and it was quite well received. And I also, in myself, I just realized what a amazingly kind of deep project this is for me. So uh, both personally, and I thought uh, just as a moment of time, just to look at what's happening around me was a great way to record it. So amidst the regular work you you were doing editorially and for your your commercial clients, you would find families and ask them to come to your studio so you could photograph them. Is that how it was working, or did sometimes you involve some of the people that were involved in your commercial or editorial work? Well, it was, it was all whatever was happening around me, and uh, because I was shooting a lot of music, I was meeting you know I knew a lot of musicians and things, so that was a one natural area that I was kind of got involved with shooting parents and children so on my own private side but also uh, when I first came to Japan uh, I was like this real kind of stubborn photographer I want to do things my way and and Japan people really didn't have studios that time but uh, to me it was like a, a cowboy without a horse a photographer had to have a studio so I had a studio and the location uh, was in this downtown area of Japan or Tokyo so where I was, was there was a lot of kind of old style Tokyo still around us and uh, uh, street advertisers and vaudevillians and uh, uh, carpenters and lots of kind of traditional looking kind of uh, Japan was around me. So I was also meeting these people when I go out and eat or drink or something. They were the neighbors and we get to know each other, friends would introduce. And uh, so when I started shooting parents and children, uh, that was just a progression of the people around me, whether it was the musicians I worked with or the or the people I lived in the same area where I was living. Uh, they were my subjects. And before we go any further, I guess we should explain what Oyako means, since we haven't defined sure. it as we can. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Oyako is a Japanese word. Uh, Oya means parents, and ko is kodomo, child. So you put the two words together, and it's like the chicken and the egg, oyako, parent and child, which there's not really like a word for it in English, but in Japan, 
uh, that's one word means that unit, parent and child. Well, some years ago, you, you decided to make more of an event of this thing, and you had invited families to come to your studio, and you would shoot up to 100 families a day. Tell me about the decision to make it, you know, that sort of a big uh, a big photographic day, as well as, you know, creating a sort of buzz around it, around the country about, you know, this, this, this special connection between parent and, and child. Yeah, I think that's one thing that was like another step from like my personal photography to kind of taking something and making it more of a, a social action to kind of uh, share with other people. And so this was something my wife and I were, you know, always working together on this uh, parents and children project. And uh, we thought, you know, it's really kind of fun, crazy idea, but let's let's create a, a holiday. And uh, we thought, well, this uh, parents and children thing has been going for so long. And that, and that this was just one more way to kind of uh, take this process, uh, this series to another level, I think. You know, when people begin a project, it's usually short term. You know, they may do a series of portraits of someone for, you know, several weeks or months, maybe, maybe a couple of years, but you've taken it over almost three decades. What What is it about it that has allowed you to sustain it, not just in terms of producing the work, but keeping yourself excited about, you know, producing these images every year? I don't know, it's just kind of like, you know, it was certainly not planned on. And it's kind of amazed me at this point when I look and say, wow, it's been going that long. It's become like this uh, runaway locomotive train, I guess. Um, and first of all, it was just my own fascination to, to shoot parents and child because I, I love the way to look at society around me. I think being in Japan, I was always curious about this country. And the parent and child, I could kind of look at the the whole scope of things in more of a, a larger range. I felt like the uh, parents were much more linked to the past and the children was linked to the future and there was a, a larger time span that I could see when they were together. So that that was my very uh, interest to begin with but when I start taking these photos there is such a, a big response from people who saw the photos too because I guess you know it's so personal everybody had a uh, a way to you know their own personal feeling about their relationship with parent or with their child. So I think there's a lot of uh, excitement from outside beyond just myself because I'm always, you know, curious and shooting other projects. But this one, I was continuously had a, a book project come up or exhibition. I think I do quite a few exhibitions a year. And uh, then I had more opportunities to meet more people. and. It just seemed like the further I got, you know, I got beyond just like the, just the clothes or the, uh, you know, the superficial things about it that made it interesting and more into the relationship. So I just kind of found things evolving. And I think also personally as a, as a raising a family, this was kind of like another member of my family, this project. So it just slowly grew and evolved. And like I said, there's the, uh, influence from outside where people really wanted to do more things with this projects do more uh events or photo projects i mean uh, uh books and those kind of things so yeah it was personally and it's also from outside i think people really wanted to do more with this 
And looking at the videos that are available online, it looks like you guys have such a blast. It seems like such a fun event. Uh, you know, personally, yeah, but that, when that happens, that one-day event, it's like, a, yeah, I feel like uh, I'm rocking in the, in the ring there. It gets in, we start about 8 o'clock in the morning, and uh, it's a very kind of a fun, fun, exciting day. We, uh, we just gathered together. It's about, you know, quite a group of people that are supporting me on different levels of that day, whether it's, you know, the registration or the uh, downloading data or uh, DJ. We have all sorts of people around, and it's, it's like, a, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's a sporting match or a rock concert or what, but it's quite fun, and it's, uh, it just goes continuous for about 10 or so hours. So uh, for people to understand, you're, normally you're, you're creating portraits of families you know, throughout the year, but you have this one special day where you invite people to come and you have as many or as many as 100 families that come and, and pose in front of you. Yes, right? we always try to have around 100. Uh, we decided that since uh, Mother's Day was the second Sunday of uh, May and Father's Day was the third Sunday of June, that we would do the fourth Sunday of July we would do this Oyako Day, and that's the day we we invite the hundred families, and it's a it's a completely free event for everybody. They come, and I take the photo, I give them prints, and then afterwards, uh, uh, I've been doing now every year. We do an exhibition or two of that of that date that we shoot the photos. So it's quite a, yeah a fun project. And uh, one of the more fascinating things for you must be the fact that some of these families. You've had an opportunity to photograph them several times. So as the whole family has gotten older, you've gotten to see how they change. Exactly. It's just, uh, you know, it's like a moment in time always. And you kind of see one moment and then you come in like 10 years later and you see another moment. And you, yeah, you, you're, you can see all that, you know, that you didn't see in between. You see those two photos. You really feel like, oh, I can see what, you know, this... Uh, this relationship is just, I think as you grow older, you get more looking the same and, and uh, it's just, uh, it's very interesting to see how we, we uh, kind of mold more and more into this, this DNA, I guess, that we have as a, a parent and child. This is really event for families and anybody really wants to be a part of this, I want to kind of give an opportunity. So there's a lot of young families and you know, young children are a little bit more you know, everybody's nervous to be in the studio space, but sometimes children have the, they're like an on-off switch. They're just amazingly into it or they're amazingly not into it. So in that situation, yeah, I have to uh, find a way to relate to that child, to make people who are nervous kind of like enjoy to just have fun. And if you start to have fun, things just happen. And I don't know. And it's like, a, I feel like I'm on stage almost when I'm taking a photo, even though there in the white space, if I'm not really entertaining and really relating and opening myself up to them, I don't think they can do that in front of the camera either. So I think I have to give first and then I get later from them. Well, going through your website, I see that you have a variety of personal projects. This is not the only one. Um, let's talk about flying objects. This is a lot less grander than the Oyako. Uh -huh. um, but no less beautiful. How did that particular project start? Because it's it starts off from such a simple idea. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it, it was, uh, I had a, I guess I always have to have like some kind of deadline or something to get me working. And uh, that that was also an exhibition that kind of started the ball rolling. And I was shooting uh, something for an exhibition and that somehow the theme got into three themes. It's kind of like parents and child because I was dealing with one thing, which was a uh, future and present and past. And to me that flying object was the past because it was basically things that I would find lying around that were like uh, uh, discarded, thrown away or forgotten kind of objects. And to me it was like uh, uh, when I threw them up in the air, or my sister threw it up in the air and I took the photo, it was like this kind of grand finale, their last, uh, last flight. I wanted to give them kind of a, a, a proper send off as they, uh, they were kind of moving onto their, their garbage bin. I wanted to give them a, something to be uh, proud about as their last grand moment. That was kind of in my mind when I was looking at that. And uh, I don't know, there's a lot of things I don't understand why I do something, but it just kind of seems to work. And that was one of them. And so was that whole idea inspired because of the result of, that you were going to have an exhibit on a certain theme? Or did you just have that idea of, oh, this might look interesting, and then it sort of built from there? It's was, this might look interesting and built from there. And uh, I, mean, I think I always liked, uh, you know, I, my background was started off in uh, art, and I got into photography, and I always kind of liked this kind of simple, empty, white space, and then I kind of fill it up with the object. And... The more and more I got into things, I, the more simplicity I liked. So like parents and child was just this, you know, to see the relationship to me, I felt it was easier to see two people against a white background. And again, with this flying object, well, it's a little bit out of its uh, normal situation, but to isolate it against a sky background was another way to, to see this object as it was in its own entity and not, you know, the environment as much as itself. With these personal projects, how how do they balance out in terms of your your the energy, the time that you spend on them as compared to your your personal work? Do you find that you struggle finding time for these personal projects because you're so busy with the jobs that actually pay the bills, or how does that work for you? Well, you know, it's funny. Like they overlap. Like this one with the flying object, um, it was a personal job, but then. It became part of a very big campaign for this department store, Parco. And I shot uh, like the, a whole series of uh, winter and uh, spring and summer posters for this uh, department store. And so uh, a lot of times projects that I do, personal projects, become work-related. And I can say the same is true with this uh, Oyako too. I've shot a lot of uh, jobs that are... Uh, because I've done this series, people get this idea this would be a great way to do a job, use this uh, famous parents and child, or use this, uh, you know, well, it doesn't have to necessarily be famous, but use a parent and child for this theme of an ad or something. So a lot of my work, if I, if I generate it from my own kind of interest, I find that it always kind of comes around again. And uh, work and, and my uh, personal projects have a little kind of gray area between the two, I think. So it is important always for me to make time to do something on my own, I think. It's well, that's fascinating that a personal projects turns into a commercial one. 
Mm-hmm. I think that some people believe that you know they they can't afford to do personal projects sometimes because they're so busy trying to to pay the bills. Uh-huh. Um, so it's you demonstrate how important it can be not only for just nurturing yourself in terms of photographer, but that those personal projects largely because they're driven by your own passion and and your own interest in expressing something can be something that someone else sees the value in. Right, and I, and I think it doesn't really bastardize your project by doing something commercial with it. It's just, it's like another way of expressing itself. Uh, it's the same like doing this uh, Oyako Day is a little bit different than what I do when I shoot for my own uh, book projects or, or exhibitions. I'll I'll uh, open it up in a different way, and it's a different, I get a different energy from that, too. And the same is true when I do something for a commercial job. I have a big team, and I, and uh, like we're doing the thing for the department store, I'd have crazy ideas like, okay, I want to do a, we're going to do a TV commercial for uh, one of the uh, campaigns. I said, I want to have a flying dress. And, okay, how are we going to do that? You know, you know, it's a little bit different than just throwing it up in the air. We had to work it out because it's a, you know, a 30-second commercial or something, we have to make it work. And so that kind of, uh, it's a different way of doing things when you can work as a professional. You can do something, take that idea and express it another way. So I really, I love that uh, opportunity to kind of turn something around another way. So personal and professional has two different ways of working, which is very exciting. You have a another personal project, which is more of a, of a story or a kind of fable it's called Lucy and uh, uh, yes. mm-hmm. it's a you know the story about a working girl in a, in, a, in a clothing factory tell me about the inception of that idea and and what what you were hoping to convey in this particular body of work I, th- I think always with uh, particularly that my early work was very much of like I was in Japan and I'm still trying to kind of look at the society so I think that without really consciously thinking about it, always looking at, at Japan. And I was very particularly interested when I was living in, in uh, this uh, Asakusa, the downtown area. I would get to know a lot of these people who used to be uh, working, well, they were still working at the time, but they're quite old. They were old comedians and musicians and people that were in the, in, it was an entertainment area of uh, Tokyo. So we meet a lot of these kind of people. And uh, that kind of era of, uh, when uh, after the war, when you had Western, or even before the war started, there was a lot of Western influence and Japanese culture mixing together in this kind of generation that evolved. And to me, Lucy, uh, she was a musician that I, that I knew at that time, and she just was this kind of bubbly, kind of Betty Boop kind of character. She just was so fun. And so we just started to kind of, her energy kind of created my, my energy as we worked together. We just kind of fed off each other. But basically, she was this kind of east meets west and uh, uh, this uh, yeah, factory girl who has dreams of becoming a star that kind of uh, story was more of a kind of like a daydream or a fantasy I felt like a story of her life so this was rooted in her home her own personal life experiences some was like the, the factory where she was there ironing and stuff like that that was actually her place where she was working and then you know when she wasn't working the the factory she was a musician playing a saxophone so there's kind of like some kind of truth and and fantasy kind of mixed together that kind of that kind of gray fuzzy area kind of got overlapped at times 
And over what period of time were these images taken? Was it a very short um, period of time that these these were produced? Um, that one went, uh, that was also for an exhibition. You know, I look at a lot of things kind of get driven by exhibitions and uh, probably the main part was done within less than a year, probably about nine months or so. But uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, that one in that case, yeah, it was got a very defined time of uh, period. So I don't think yeah, it went much more than a year. I can imagine that you're you're pretty busy with, you know, your your, your studio, your your exhibitions, your your family. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you have a lot of ideas for personal projects. What dictates which ones you take on and which ones you just put in the drawer for later? Yeah, I find like you know when I was younger you had like so much energy you just were constantly kind of doing things and you didn't really think about it too much which is really fun and you know you I found I did things at that time that I wouldn't do nowadays but I think if I look now it's more like a marathon runner you know I'm I'm uh, in for the long run and I I, uh, I think much more probably before I actually go about and doing it I think maybe the body moves slower I think more but uh, uh so now I yeah I get to projects that are kind of just mulling in my mind and I um, now I don't have my kind of studio like I did before I found that it's much easier to work in rental studios or if it's small stuff just you know in my own you know space here but I think about things quite a bit and I because I don't have a studio I end up drawing pictures in my sketchbook and those kind of things so I, I'm always making kind of memos and and uh, I kind of probably editing and filtering when I get down to, okay, the time I'm going to shoot something, I uh, come in there and say, okay, what is it that I really want to do from that, all that stuff I've been thinking about? And in terms of you being, you're native of Southern California, you yes. grew up here in SoCal, you went to school, you know, in our center, and then you transplant yourself to Japan where you've been living for a good part of your life. How has having been from here been an advantage or a disadvantage in terms of working in Japan? Well, I think as, as a creator, it's always good to be a little bit on the outside. And, and I guess I, I've been an outsider because I've come to this country. You see things differently in things. Um, so I think always as a, as a creator or something, you always want to be a little bit off-center. And so... That wasn't my intent to come to Japan to be off-center, but I think that that perspective has helped me in many ways. Uh, you know, looking at something that's in front of everybody's face that looks very normal, you say, that's really interesting because you're looking at it. You don't see that from your background. You see it's kind of new and fresh. So I think that's that's very helpful as a creator. Um, now, language and other things like that end up being more of a problem. But, you know... Without without uh, limitations or something, you you have too many options. So I think always limitations kind of help you kind of deal with a situation and a problem, and from there you find a solution. So I think we all have our own limitations. So yeah, we 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 need those limitations to uh, create and get our mind to uh, come up with some way of doing something. What's been the reaction to your work, particularly the Oyako? Um project in in the circles of photographers in in japan 
it's become quite a, a well-known kind of image. So I think that, uh, you know, even normal person on the street, if they see this photo in Japan somewhere or they've seen it over the years, I think as a, um, a photographer, there's two things you always want to become, keep fresh, but at the same time, you want, I think uh, you're always looking to find something that could be your, your thing, you know, so um, as far as I get feedback from photographers that, you know, you're so, you know, you've kind of found your real niche with this Oyako, and uh, so I think that uh, there's a, I don't know, respect for something, doing something for so long. At the same time, you know, I'm not comfortable just to say that's all I do. So I want to always keep myself fresh and doing other things. But at the same time, it's important because uh, it's, uh, it's a major piece of work for me. And uh, it just uh, you know, keeps going. I don't think it'll stop at this point. Your early career, um, soon after graduating from Art Center, was about focusing, as you said, in, in, in the music industry. Mm-hmm. How has that changed over the years? And how, how much does music play in, in your current body of work? Well, music is always kind of like uh, important to me as far as my own personal self. I get uh, very much kind of feedback and inspired hearing music. So whenever I'm taking uh, photos or anything, uh, I like to play music and uh, communicate. But I think, um, again, it's like uh, being a musician, they're, they're, they're on a stage, you're playing music, and, uh, and I think in an own way, it's like a photographer can't just be like this person hiding behind a camera, like a musician, you have to kind of uh, express yourself in your own way. And I think that you have to, uh, uh, what do you say, it's just kind of running along here. You have to be able to take what you have and, and make the other person uh, more open. And in that sense, I think music is, is something I've got a lot of inspiration from musicians, how they can kind of inspire and open people up. What's interesting about looking at your work is just the diversity of it. Uh, just alone with the personal projects, you seem to not only have very different subject matters, but very different approaches in how you photograph. Um, mm-hmm. Take a look at the um, Tokyo Muscle um, series, mm-hmm. which doesn't involve you know people at all. It's it's uh, the urban an urban landscape, but from a particularly particularly distinctive perspective. Um, was was that one again part of uh, something that was created for an exhibit? And why this particular take on on the city? Yeah, that was part of the the same series when I did the flight object, it was like a, another section of that. And to me, it was like, uh, it was looking at Tokyo. That was the, the flying object was the past. And uh, the Tokyo muscle is like the current that was looking at Tokyo as it, as it was to me, but I couldn't really um, show it in my photo exactly the way I, I wanted to if I just took a photo. And that was something where I, I ended up doing, um, drawing onto the negative. So it was very analog kind of thing. It was like shooting uh, like a, a very old kind of film and, and drawing onto the actual negative and 
the drawing on there was trying to show this kind of energy. So like if there, I felt like light is coming out from from this building or something, I would try to kind of kind of capture that kind of uh, energy and power. That's why I call it Tokyo Muscle. It's like this kind of big, powerful buildings and uh, and uh, energy that was uh, radiating from these buildings. It strikes me as very noirish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, anyway, I, I wanted to just, uh, uh, you know, as a photography, you always, it's so great because it just captures what you see, but how do you capture something that you want to show that you can't see? And that was what uh, I was trying to express through that. I think this is a series that really is a not so much rooted in the visual in terms of wanting to create a attractive photograph of a scene but really to express how you felt about a place mm-hmm. yeah very subliminal I think each time you know a different project has different things but uh, the one thing I really like about photography that that one was just me in that you know Tokyo but it's like always a kind of collaboration of some sort so uh, like one of the first things I did when I came to Japan it created kind of a big shocker sensation was that I I was uh taking photos of a musician in, in uh, Los Angeles at that time. His name was Tomato Du Plenty. He was uh, part of a group called The Screamers. And uh, for that particular uh, exhibition, I, I uh, worked with different artists. We collaborated, not just me and the musician, but uh, after I took the photos, I made these big prints and I, and I uh, had artists uh, basically take that photo and build on top of it too do their artwork with my photo. So it was like a, a collaboration. And um, always, I think, when I do a project, there's some kind of collaboration is important, whether it's with a model or it's the, or the subject matter, like the flying object is, a, to me, is a, a collaboration with me and that object. So collaboration is kind of a, one of my, I guess, important ways to, uh, to work. With with projects, one of the challenges sometimes is trying to figure out when you're done. And sometimes it may be dictated by external forces, but do you have sort of a sense of, of not so much with the Oyako project because that's an ongoing thing, but with some of the other ones, in terms of, find, of determining, you know, I think I have enough work or I still need to keep exploring and shooting that. How do, how do you kind of de- determine that for yourself? I think I think you just naturally you kind of feel like you've, you know, if there's an exhibition or something, well, you've gone to that process and you've gone through it. But uh, for instance, like this uh, flying object, that's definitely one that I, I feel like it's unfinished. But I need time to kind of think about it. It's not just, you know, keep throwing things up in the air. I need to kind of think a little bit deeper. So I I've, I've been away from it for a while, I, and I think that uh, in that process. I might feel like there's something more to say about it if I kind of, you know, have that time. But if you're just shooting constantly, well, you, you get to a moment, it's like, well, what more can I do if you're, if you're always dealing in that same perspective? So unless you, you come up with something new or different, I think you, you get to some point and say, well, I've taken that far enough and maybe that's all I need to do. And that's hard. You know, I think that's like with a painter or anything. When do you stop is, is uh, you know, you always know if you've gone too far. Um, and uh, fortunately, with photography, it's not so critical because you're, you're always 
dealing with a, you know, an isolated image. So, yeah, that's always a question. Well, the last question I always ask is I ask a photographer to suggest or recommend another photographer for our listeners to consider and explore. So who would that photographer be for you and why? Oh, okay. And that's always a hard one, too, because there's so many people to choose from. And I was thinking about that today, and I, I thought maybe one person uh, I like a lot, because, again, like myself, I like this kind of a empty, simple uh, background and, and working with what is kind of basically in front of you that maybe people don't notice. And there's a photographer, his name is uh, Soji Ueda. He's He actually died in uh, 2000, so he's not around anymore. But he uh, basically, he was a uh, kind of a portrait studio photographer. That's how he made his living. But he lived in this area in Toturiken, which is uh, famous for their sand dunes. And what he did, a body of work, which uh, is quite well known around the world now, is his photos taken on the sand dunes. And it's very isolated uh, people against this uh, sand dune and sky. And it's quite beautiful kind of photos. And for those two reasons of looking at what was around him and also kind of creating this kind of uh, glamorous kind of uh, set feeling from, from the natural background, those two things I think was, is quite fun. And, and uh, I think people hopefully would enjoy seeing those. Well, thank you for the recommendation, and thank you for appearing on the show. Okay, well, thank you very much. And look forward to hearing more of your podcasts. Thanks for joining me again. If you have any comments or suggestions, please email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. You can also join our community on Flickr, Facebook, and Twitter. Links to each can be found on the blog. And remember, if you're part of our Flickr group, I continue to post the listener photo of the week. So upload your images for a chance to be showcased on the blog. Till next time, this is Ibarian X Perello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.